Howdy friends, I'm Molly, your host today, and we want to welcome you back to the No Boundaries International podcast. So as a reminder, this podcast is meant to be used as a tool to help equip you in your walk with Jesus in the areas of restoration, training, and outreach. And it's super, super fun because we do this by using a combination of exploring biblical principles, taking a closer look at concepts found in our Journey of Restoration CPR e-course, and then we have tons and tons of discussions surrounding what it really means to follow Jesus in these areas. So... I'm very excited because for today's episode, we're going to be having a conversation with, of course, our very own co-founder and vice president and Bible geek, Sandy Orchard. Hello. Woohoo! <laughs> and we're going to be having a conversation that's kind of centered around a book that we just read, doing a little bit of a review over what we got out of this. So this book is called Living Fearless. And it was written by Jamie Winship. I love this book. It's so good, you guys. What this book has really done in our team and then in the people that we've been able to extend this book to has been incredible. So what this book does is it really kind of establishes an identity or teaches us how to hear, how to get our identity from Christ, and then to see how that impacts everything that we do. And you're really going to get your identity from somewhere. Right. So, I mean, it could be in your culture or what your family said over you or whatever. So, I mean, you're going to get your identity somewhere. So why not get it from like truth, you know? Yeah. I mean, and what happens whenever we start to receive the, our identity from literally the one who created us? Yeah, that's perfect. That the one who created the world wants to speak to us individually about who we are. And that in it of itself is mind blowing. So we're really, really excited. And so Um, For this, we're going to be doing kind of like an overview of concepts found in this book pertaining to identity, and then we're going to combine that with a lot of the things that we use in our Journey of Restoration CPR e-course. So I think kind of to kick us off, we better just go ahead and do a little summary. You know what I mean? Yeah, that'd be good. So basically, the idea of this book goes like this, that we as followers of Christ are made in the image of God. So then as a people made in the image of God, we are also kind of like co-creators with him. Like we reflect God. And so with that, there is this inside of us, a unique identity that has been literally wired into us by God himself. So the idea is that then when we know and we walk in this true identity given to us, that it impacts the world we live in for the better by bringing in the kingdom of heaven. So we know that Jesus operated in the fullness of his identity as the beloved son of God. And just like Jesus, we all have true identity in him. But there's also something that God calls each of us in the kingdom. So what happens then? This whole this book kind of establishes that, but then talks about what happens in our lives when things keep us from operating in our true identity. That sometimes sometimes things happen to us and we react in a way of self-protection and then we end up putting on these false selves or these false identities. And this happens when something in our lives, like an event or even just something just random in our everyday lives where something is spoken over us or is implied like you're dumb or you're unworthy or you're unlovable or really anything like that. And then we start to live into it. And so when we do this, we're taking on a false identity, meaning 
this is not the one that came from God. And when we do that, we let it hinder us from ever really knowing who we are or what we're called to do. And so really what this book does is it invites the reader to learn how to hear from God, how to drop their false identities, and then how to pick up their true ones, and then how to walk in it. And what I really, even on a personal, I mean, especially on a personal level, what this book has done has been awesome. And for me, there's some reflections as you as you read the book that just has you kind of um, ask yourselves, is there any area that you're not living in truth? Is there any area that you're operating under a false identity? And then he invites the reader to ask God, what does he call you? And so just to give a little bit of an example before we jump into it, on my end, I know whenever we got to the uh, place of what are the false identities that you're carrying, that I was carrying around this false identity of destroyer, that I destroy people, places, and things, and just throughout... Because of, just because of your actions in the past? Yes, because okay. of my actions in the past, or because of things that have that I've done or that have Mm -hmm. been done to me that you just kind of think that you're just destroy everything. Mm -hmm. And so wherever it comes, it comes from somewhere, like you said. And so then what happened was, is then I would live into it. And so even because she believed it because I believed it, you agreed with it. Yeah, I agreed with it. And so then I live into it. And even if that living into it means having to prove that you're not it, (laughs) that's still a way of living into it because you're still having to be your own self protector Mm -hmm. in it. And so then when I asked God, which what, is something you're going to, you're going to introduce that, yes. that question in a little bit. So just yes. hang so on. So at there, the yeah. end, we'll do that. Yeah. But so then when I asked God what my true identity was, he called me a reclamator. A what? A reclamator, <laughs> which you can kind of get from the word that that means reclaiming something. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so I never heard that word, though, like Did you that have to, before. like, look it up in the dictionary? Yes, I did. <laughs> and I looked it up, and it said in their clearest day, a person, thing, or device that reclaims something, especially usable soil or usable soil elements from unusable soil. Really? And I think... And what's your... Hang on. What's your degree in again? Like your college yes. degree? What is that again? Water resources and soil science. Oh, how cool is that? And how cool is that? And so whenever God speaks your identity to you, you can kind of see in your life, like you can go back and like see connecting all the, the dots, ways that you know? that's who I always was. And it's really fun now because the soil that we talk about uh-huh. in No Boundaries or the soil of the Bible when God's talking to you about soil, it's your... Like the soil of your heart or your mind. The soil of your heart, the soil of your mind. And then this is what we do all the time. We get to work with people in doing their soil or their heart or mind revamping and reclaiming those places that's a pretty in cool, that have been lost. That's a pretty cool name there, Molly. I know. And I think it sounds very much like a superhero. Like, <laughs> she's a reclamator. So all that to say is that... But this, really... I mean, if you had like thought to yourself, I wonder what my identity is and my purpose in life, would you have used that word? Never. Did you have like, I mean, it sounds like it's not even something you would like use in your everyday conversation, you know? Right. So, I mean, it just has to be from God, you know? Right. And that's what, whenever you know it's from God, I mean, it does something in you. And then how you look at the world completely changes. 
because then you're coming from your identity into mm-hmm. every environment. And you're not, making those decisions based right, on that. Not yeah. coming to get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, and we're going to jump into all of that now, but I just wanted to give the listeners kind of that, an example mm-hmm. so that they have something that they can kind of follow. Yeah. So the book really starts off talking about how we truly are created to walk in our identity. And Jamie Winship writes it like this. He says, scripturally speaking, true identity is received from God and community through, through the intuitive mind in prayer. The counterfeit of Christ-centered identity is radical individualism. Radical individualism is a self-generated and subjective and leads only to internal and external conflict. Contrarily, true identity is the essence of who you are, gifted to you by God, and meant to be discovered in relationship with Him. It's the I, the capital letter I, you carry deep inside of you and secured in love, value, and worth. Your unique and true identity is meant to bless the world. Meaning that then, oh, this is no longer the quote. That's the end of the quote. (laughs) But meaning that then, like when we walk in our true identity, that it's meant to bless the people around us. So I think the question, Sandy, is then how is it that we keep discovering who we are, and then what our purpose is, not even just in Christ, but also in our everyday lives. That's a, I think that's a huge question that everybody asks sometime in their life. Like, what's why my purpose here? And, yeah, why am I here? What's my purpose here? Why did God make me? Why am I on, on this earth? It's, and actually, I guess in Barna studies, that's like the number one questions that people want to, would love to ask God if they were face to face with him. And so just want to go down that, um, that trail just a little bit. Yeah. And so, um, what I'm about to tell you actually is like from a podcast that I heard. It was super, super good. And I'll put the link in the show notes, but it's from Dutch Sheets. And he had a podcast, which is also on YouTube called Broken No More. And actually, I'm just going to give you like just a little sliver of the whole thing because it's 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 really very thorough and it covers a lot of different points. And it's really, really good. I would encourage anybody to, to listen to that. But um, he was kind of asked, and I'll paraphrase the question, like, how would you counsel people that have gone through great trauma and like, you know, don't you have great condemnation for them for the poor decisions they made? You know, mm, that sort mm-hmm. of a question. And so he, um, Dutch Sheets actually uh, gave this answer, and he's starting off the answer with, he quotes Romans 8.28, and it's a verse that so many of us know, and it says, And we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so I know just like, you know, in my past life, running around with other Christians, I've heard that, that phrase, that verse used a lot, but it's, it's kind of always in the context of like, they've gone through a difficult um, season in their life or a challenge yeah. that's in front of them. And it's kind of like, well, a real weak, you know, well, you know, I, I'm sure that God's going to work this thing out for the good. And it doesn't yes. sound very confidence building, you know? So, um, and really the question that he poses out there is, well, God, uh, God will make something good out of this, something positive, but I just don't know how he's going to work it out. And so that's really not it. The essence is so much bigger. And mm-hmm. so um, as far as that verse, we want to focus on like the part where it says for who are called according to his purpose, meaning us as followers of Christ. And so what does that mean? And really it means that um, those of us that we've been called for a, a really special 
and unique calling in our life. And so that really means every single one of us, which I know sometimes is difficult to believe because you think like, as you read different uh, heroes in the Bible, or you run across like, maybe like the Billy Grahams of America kind of thing. It's like for the superhero kind of Christian, but it's not, it's this, like the verse is actually meant for all of us, for every person that God's created. And so, but the other question is that, does that mean like we have to work really, really hard and, um, and do like Mm. super good. We can never fail, never sin. And, and in and, and our works for the Lord sort of thing. And, and then he'll be proud of us. Right. And uh, maybe give us some kind of reward. And it, and it doesn't mean that at all. Um, and so we want to really focus like in that verse when he talks about his purpose and that word purpose in the Greek means prothesis. It's the literal trans- translation means um, it's like a thesis. Like, I mean, I know, uh, Molly, you went to college. And Mm -hmm. so it's like you've been given this assignment to write out a thesis or a big giant report. And so you've been, um, you take this concept that you want to explain and Uh you research it and you think about it and you kind of like think about how you're going to explain it to somebody. And so after some thought and some prep, I mean, some good amount of time has gone into this and, and a lot of energy you write this report about yeah. whatever you're trying to explain. And that's exactly what God does for us. And so it says, um, it says in, in Psalms 139, it says, uh, you have searched me and you know me. Like, you really, really know me. You're my creator, you know me. It says uh, in that, because of that, he says that he's the one who designed us. He's the one that created us. He's the one that put giftings in us. He's the one that put callings inside of us. He knew before we were ever born what he wanted us to be. And yeah. he, so each one of us, not just the superheroes, has a calling and a destiny. And so it's so much bigger than what we're thinking. And so even like if you go to Jeremiah 1, 5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as a prophet for the nations. Mm. And so if you look at that verse, you might think, well, that's just Jeremiah. He was the special dude. You know, he's got all these giftings. He's right. the one. That, but that's for all of us, that he, that God, he puts these callings and these giftings to set us apart, to look like Jesus, to act like Jesus, and do the things of Jesus. And he appoints us, just like it says in Jeremiah 1.5, he appoints us with that. And so each one of us has that calling um, to, to present Jesus well. Yeah. And just like uh, he called you a reclamator, he's put, yeah. special, he's put certain gifts and qualities in you and skills in you that nobody else has. Yeah. But only God could do that. And so like I referenced a minute ago in Psalms 139, for you created me in my inmost uh, being and you knitted me together in my mother's womb. And if you jump down to 16, for all the days were ordained for me and were written wow. in your book. So there's, there's that prothesis word, it written, like he wrote out this big thesis about you. Yeah. And he wrote out this big thesis about every single one of us. And I mean, that sounds kind of crazy because like, because we're super one dimensional. We're thinking like, okay, I've got an assignment today. I've got to write this thesis. It's going to take me four hours and I've got to do this. You know, like if you think about the time behind that, but this is like a supernatural God that can do anything. He can do, he takes care of billions of people at once, mm-hmm. but before he ever creates them, he has an, he has an idea of what they want. He wants them to be, what he, what skills that he wants them to have, what kind of giftings and qualities that only he can put in a person. Mm. And that's what he puts in each one of us as a calling and a purpose. 
Yeah. And so that kind of uh, gets back to the book of like, why were we created? What's our identity? And yeah. how to live in that. Because we're meant to. Yes. Like, and it, will you read that again? So with the definition of purpose. Uh, of prothesis. Prothesis, but in the context of the scripture. So called um, according to the yeah, Romans. So in 8. Romans eight twenty eight, we said, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So called according to what he had originally in mind since the foundations of the earth that he researched, quote unquote, yeah. and knew and then placed in each of us, then what would be able to accomplish then that will or his kingdom on he- his kingdom on earth, like that each of us would get to play a part in. Yeah. While, as we walk Your in little our bitty part of looking like Jesus and yes. bringing the kingdom of God on here onto the earth. That so, it was already planned out. Yeah, and so it goes back to, and we've kind of talked about this before, and um, like if you imagine sort of a triangle yeah, in our walk with Christ, there's at the top of the triangle, there's God, and then the one of the, the left arm goes down and there's self, mm-hmm. you know, each one of us, and then the other triangle is others. So everything we do in life has to do with um, how we love God and serve Him, mm-hmm. and then what he, how he created us and how we affect and love others, God's self and others. Everything that we do revolves around that. Yeah. And that's the purpose that he gives us is to love him with everything that we have to serve him and to, and to serve others. So that purpose that he puts in you and that he defines in you, that the identity he puts in you is to, to help you love God, understand his heart and his nature, but -hmm. also to help others and to bring his kingdom down here on earth. Right. So it gives us purpose and it gives us value and it gives us a reason for doing things. And it, and it, and it kind of puts like, puts us on the path, like a, a road so that we know where to go and, and how, what to say yes to and what to say no to. So this is what, so what I'm hearing is that then that identity, it really matters whether really we know does. it or we don't. Yeah, it does. Cause it's kind of like the rudder on a ship. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can like float along in life and whatever happens <laughs> will happens. And, and in other words, you're just like, if you don't have a rudder on your ship, you're just like this little cork floating on the water. And you have yeah. no, you ha- you can't, because you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what to steer for. And you can't even steer because you don't have a rudder. Right. So you're just, you're just there going you're along in life, floating and whatever happens, happens. And I mean, there's no intentionality in that whatsoever. And so that purpose, his purpose for our lives and, and what he calls us to puts the rudder on our ship. Mm, and it good. helps us to to know what to aim for yeah. and how to do that. And, and, it's it, a, and it becomes a real journey with Jesus because it's not like he gave you the reclamator manual. Right. How do I do this? Hey, Molly, here here's the manual for being a reclamator. This no. will tell you everything you need yeah. to know. I mean, we do have the, the Bible, which is highly important. We have to know the nature of God um, and what he's calling us to. But he doesn't just say, here's the user's manual of reclamator. <laughs> right. And here's what's going to happen in the future. Hey, all these things are going to happen. And here's what you should do to react. Yeah. It's very interesting because then uh, because he doesn't operate like that, because he's so relational. It's relationship. Because he wants to have that conversation with me in every environment or in every everywhere I go and everything that I do. Mm-hmm. He wants to establish it from, because you're my reclamator, then from that place I can ask, so what do you want me to do about this? Yeah. Or what do you want me to know in this situation? Which are the two main questions that this book yes. really highlights is, 
once you know your identity, then whenever you operate in that, you go into an environment and you're saying, God, what do you want me to know? And what do you want me to do? Yeah, those are. And if if nothing else comes out of that book, if those two things, those two questions mm-hmm. and what your identity like what God calls you, yeah. which is what you're going to talk about. Yes. I mean, those are like huge value coming out of this book. Yeah. And I love, I just love it. It's very important. And I can see then like how many people, you know, go their whole lives and have no idea who they are. But, you know, it's, but it's, again, going back to what you were saying a second ago, if like, if we had the reclamator manual for you, like, mm-hmm. here's what's going to come. Like, a, you know, like when you get those, I don't know if you've ever seen those hugely thick books that comes with your, yes. your car about how to repair the X, Y, and Z. I'm yes. like, not a mechanic. <laughs> but um, like it tells you, you're, you know, you do the number one, number two, number three, number four. That'd be very overwhelming. Yes. But if you had the reclamator manual, like, hey, Molly, here's what's going to happen down the line. Two years from now, you're going to encounter this problem and here's how you should react. Then you don't need God. Oh, yeah. You don't need the relationship. Right. Because then I already know how it's going to play out. Yeah. So that's, yeah. I mean, you are absolutely right. It, it's, it's super relational and Jesus wants us to have the constant conversation with him, which some people call prayer, mm-hmm. to have that constant, uh, that constant tie to him. That's not a very good word, but, it, but like the constantly looking to him mm-hmm. and having that relational dialogue and relational dependence upon him. Yeah. And I think that then, I mean, Another concept found in this Living Fearless book is that God will only talk to you in your true identity. Yeah, that's really good. That he will only talk to your true self. And so, I mean, he really, the author, Jamie Winship, he takes us on this journey about how um, we get to our true identity and get to hearing from God. And that starts with confession about where we really are. And so he really talks about how confession isn't just like it's not just about apologizing or it's not just about saying you're sorry but it's about really bringing everything to the table. So then Sandy, if if confession isn't just saying you're sorry and it's about bringing yourself to the table, like can you kind of expand on what that looks like? Well, in a sense, like especially if you read Genesis back in the garden, not like I always like to go to Genesis, uh-huh, you know. Shocker. Yeah, I know you're stunned by that. But um, in in chapters uh, two and three, so Adam and Eve before the fall were naked before Christ or before mm-hmm. God, and meaning it wasn't just there was an absence of clothes or like there were no clothes available. It was, it means that like their relationship with God was pure. Like here I am, and you know me fully. Yeah. And this is me, and I know that you see me, and I know that you love me just for how I am. Yeah. And so that's what he wants to get us back to. He wants us to get to that sort of status where we're being totally honest before him. Mm-hmm. And so meaning that, like, uh, you know, that if the confession is the first step that's saying, uh, okay, this is what I've done. Yeah. And let's just be honest. And really, you have to be honest anyway. This is the God of the universe. He sees it all. Mm-hmm. And so if you're like hiding behind these half-truths and permission-giving be- the permission giving lines that you're living out to uh, as to why you did X, Y, and Z, yeah, I mean, he sees it all. And right. you can't really hide it anyway. So he wants you to be authentic enough and honest enough to come to him and say, 
Jesus, I know that I've messed this thing up and I know I've sinned and here's what I've done and I am going to own up to this thing. Let's just lay it out there on the table because I this is this is what I've done. Yeah. And he, and that's the starting point and that's exactly where he wants us to come from. Yeah. And the difference like in when you read the Bible, like in the Old Testament, it was about the external stuff that Molly, you didn't keep the Sabbath today. Mm. It says in there to keep the Sabbath you sinned, therefore condemnations upon you. And it's looking at the external, whereas Jesus in the New Testament is saying, you know, it does say that in the Old Testament, and I do want you to 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 obey those guidelines, but I want it to be from the inside. I want it to be from your heart, out of love uh, for me and out of love for what I'm saying. And there's reasons why I said it, keeping the Sabbath and, and you resting, that's good for you, Molly. Yeah. And so you're doing it from an, you're doing it from an internal heart change. Yeah. And when you have that heart change, like you've confessed it and then you repent and say, you're sorry, like, but repenting means, okay, I've been down this path and it's the wrong, I'm, I'm totally messing this thing up and I'm down the wrong path. And so I'm choosing to get off this path and go back on the path toward you. And I, I want to meaning God. So I'm choosing to turn my path back to you, God, and do things as you say and obey what you're saying and and uh, and do it out of a heart of love because I value this relationship with you. You are the most important thing I have, mm-hmm. and I want to do this. Yeah, that's good. And I'm just going to read a little bit of uh, this quote from from Jamie's book. So it says, he says it like this. He says, I'm sorry doesn't lead to transformation. Confession is telling God the truth about what you really believe about your him, yourself, and others. It's the greatest act, a sacrament. God loves honest confession. Confession is the beginning of genuine transformation. If you don't tell God your truth, how can he enlighten your reality with his truth? Like, how good is that? That's really, really good. And that's at my favorite part, that I'm sorry doesn't lead to transformation. And I know in his book, he's like, if you were arrested and you go, uh, if you're a police officer and you're trying to go and you ask someone for a confession and they just sit there and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, that's nothing, not going to get anywhere. Nothing's really happening. Right. And that's how it is with God. If we just come and we just say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And we don't let the repenting or the turning aspect take hold in our lives, yeah. then we're just remorseful without any action. And that's, I mean, that just puts you in shame and fear and all of those other false selves um, that will build up around, that will build up around ourselves. And so then he also says another quote from the book. He says, hiding the truth always makes you a slave. If you will not tell the truth, you're in bondage to the lie, the deception and the rationalization. Don't apologize for your perceived reality. Tell the truth about it. That's confession. Remorse is not repentance. Confession activates repentance. Repentance is changing the way you think, turning and going a new way. Yeah, that's good. God tells you the truth about who he really is, who you really are, and who your neighbor really is. God's truth empowers you to believe in a new way, which leads to thinking in a new way, which leads to acting in a new way. This is transformation. Confession, repentance, transformation. 
I mean, Boy, that's really good. And it, so it says, he says to empower you to believe in a new way. So that's like the mind of Christ to change your thinking patterns. Yes. And that's where I like this whole, um, I mean, we talk about this all the time. It's this whole idea that you can't crucify what you cover. So like, it's, in other words, you're like, if you're not being honest about it, you're covering that lie. Right. If you're hiding it, God can't work can't in do anything that with that because it has to be an active choice to bring the full, whatever your sin or toxic thought process is, mm-hmm. or your insecurities, you have to bring that all to the table before mm-hmm. the Lord and say, okay, do with it what you will. But then I like how it's, it's him, the one who's, he's the one who's doing something with it. You know, like he's the one making the exchange. We just get to like position ourselves to receive, mm-hmm. to say, I want to give this to you. And in exchange, I want that perfect peace and that perfect joy that can only come from my true identity and resting in my true identity as you as my father and me as a receiving son or daughter. And really there has to be a surrender in that. Yeah. Like you have to be willing and open to, to stop the control aspect of like, I'm going to control this thing. I might, you know, yeah. I'm the one in charge. Like there has to be a surrender behind that exchange that he wants to do with you. Because if you're hanging on to it, like you said, you can't crucify what you cover. So if you're like, that got this death grip on whatever that, that lie or that misrepresentation is, um, what you're holding on to, like you got this grip on there and you're not going to give it up, then mm-hmm. he can't exchange it for anything. Right. So you have to, so like you have to surrender. Right. And when you have that grip on it, then you have to sustain it. Yeah, that's even, you have that's to even harder. You have to take care of it. You have to cater to it. You have to figure out all of your environments to yeah. do whatever that is. And so it says right here, like, you're in bondage to it. Yeah. Like. You're a slave. Right. And in other words, we really have to bring our full selves to the table in the fullness of saying, here's all my stuff. I want to be back in that naked, vulnerable state before you, how it was always originally supposed to be, so that I can then receive from you my true self Mm -hmm. and receive what you're saying about my true identity. And I think, too, that in that process of surrendering, so sometimes, like, Jesus is going to bring things up in your life or your mind and say, hey, what about that one thing that you did, whether it was yesterday or five years ago? Mm Mm-hmm. But he's kind. He's really, really kind. He could he could actually bring up the 3,000 things that you did all through your life. Hey, let's right. settle it right now. Let's get, <laughs> settle the score. And it's overwhelming, you know. But he doesn't do that. He's really gentle and kind And how he does that. That he just, he might bring up that one thing. And hey, let's just, let's just talk about this for a minute. And uh, what do you think about that, Molly? You know what I mean? And, yeah. and like introducing yourself, introducing you to yourself and, yes. and what that one thing that you probably need to deal with because it's probably destroying you on the inside. Mm-hmm. But in his kindness and his goodness, he doesn't bring all of it, like yes. all the things that you've mistakes you've made and their sins that you've done in the past. He's really kind. Hey, let's just talk about this one thing. Yeah. And then, like you said, I mean, you might as well just own up to it because that's the best and most effective way of, of dealing with it so that he can exchange it with truth. Mm-hmm. He can exchange it with peace and love and joy and salvation. I mean, the whole package. It's the, let me tell you about you. Yeah. Which brings freedom. Yes. I mean, we see that. I mean, look at the woman at the well, John chapter four, mm-hmm. when Jesus told her about herself, even with all this stuff, she didn't cover it. You know, she didn't cover all the things that she'd and he been al- doing. And he also didn't condemn her at the same and time. And he didn't condemn her. 
He but just she, so when it, she's in his presence, mm-hmm. she knew that. Oh, I see. I see that I've done these things wrong. Mm-hmm. But Jesus gave her, like he told her, I can help you with the. I yes. mean, I'm paraphrasing, but right. I can help you with these things. Yeah. And so when he, like when you bring your full self in honesty to the Lord, it's going to bring freedom mm-hmm. every single time. Because when, he, he's exchanging it. Yes. It's whenever we hide, it's just like the book says, hiding the truth always makes you a slave. slave. Yeah. So then let's talk a little bit about that and a little bit about how we get then into a false identity. So this one might take just a moment because um, I'm going to explain some concepts that are found in our Journey of Restoration CPR e-course. Um, so at No Boundaries here, we talk a whole lot about how we're all created with like these God-shaped holes mm-hmm. and God-shaped desires inside of us. And I heard a quote the other day and they're like, our desires are too big for people. Like it's supposed to feel overwhelming. Like the, you mean the God-given desires? Yes. Okay. Like our God-given desires are too big for people to meet ever. Like only God can meet them. And so we use something that we'll put in the notes and it's called the desire wheel. And so this comes from a teaching called Questions for Jesus. Mm-hmm. But uh, the desire wheel has 16 desires uh, or like longings, you can call them whatever, that God has given us. So that he's created you, that with. he's created us. Okay. With. So he designed these 16 desires inside of us mm-hmm. that they're not bad. They're not wrong that we're meant to have these, but he wants to be the one to fill them. So it can be some examples are like the desire for belonging or the desire for acceptance or security or peace or a desire to be significant, which all of those things are good. And so But it's meant to say that our truest desires were, again, created by God and then also created to be filled by God. And when we start looking to ourselves or to other people or to things to start filling these desires that we will never actually be fulfilled and it will lead us to start walking in a false identity. When we start needing the external circumstances or external environments to meet our needs, then we'll start doing weird things Mm -hmm. and acting out of a false self. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to give this example because I think it's very helpful. Um, So like, for example, if I'm feeling inside of me that I'm insignificant, right? So if I'm feeling that I'm insignificant, yet I know that I'm created by God for significance and then say, I'm feeling I'm insignificant and I go to my job, I go to work, right? And so say then while I'm at work and I'm feeling insignificant, then I start to do things to prove that I am significant. So maybe I'll start to make sure to push my way into meetings or I'll talk over people to make sure that my ideas are being heard. Or then when someone else has a good idea and they're viewed as significant, I'll start to feel jealous or angry on the inside. So then I have this resentment building up, right? And so then I keep doing more and I keep trying to perform well. And then I get to this performance-based significance. So then before you know it, I'm miserable and keep having to do more and more and more to then make sure that I'm maintaining my own significance. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So this would be actually a great example of living into a false identity of insignificance. Mm -hmm. But because you're believing that you're insignificant, 
So you're trying to manipulate the environment to prove that you are. Yeah. Even though God's the one who wants to fill that. Even if it's at the expense of others. At the expense of others. Or even yourself. Yeah. And so then um, this is whenever you're having to, when you live into this, you're having to manipulate your environment to get that need or desire met rather than letting God tell you how significant you are to him. Because when God gives it to you, no one and no thing can take that away. And like this switches your brain. This switches how you start thinking about things, which then starts switching how you do things. Because then when God tells you how significant you are, then you can go into your environment already full of significance instead of having to manipulate your environment trying to get it. So in other words, like if you have... I don't know, maybe like a really close friend or a spouse or whatever. And so you're trying to get all your need, like your, um, your needs that are on that desire wheel met by that person. Mm-hmm. It, it can have the potential to create a dysfunctional, unhealthy relationship because it's not how God designed it. Right. Okay. And so then in that dysfunction, a lot of times you surround it with like, you know, insecurity and lies or... Mm-hmm. Like behaviors that are going to make sure that you're trying to get that those needs in your heart met by the other person. Right. And so if I have this feeling, if I have a deep feeling of unworthiness and I haven't let, I haven't brought that to the table when the full self and letting God know that I feel that I believe and I'm feeling unworthy, then what happens is then I will start to behave unworthy. So then I might reject people. Or if someone's trying to give me love, I might reject that love. And I'm then positioned not to be able to receive. I might isolate Mm -hmm. things like that. Like it affects your behaviors, what, what you believe about yourself. Mm -hmm. But when I know that I'm created for worthiness and God tells me how I'm worthy, then that's a true identity. He can work in the true self, but it starts with bringing that first false identity of recognizing that I'm feeling unworthy and then giving it to God and then receiving how he calls me worthy. So you can't live, live out or believe those two opposing things. Right. So you have to make the choice. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, and it's a process. I mean, we'll be forever discovering the fullness of our identity in him. Like that's a, so it'll just be like how you said in those perfect timing and in relationship with him that he'll start to reveal things. So back to this insignificance thing, like, or just any unmet need, what happens is we start making like really quick decisions and based on getting our immediate needs met by whatever means necessary. And so all of that is based in the fear of not getting those needs met. So we take matters into our own hands and then it just goes downhill from there. Okay. So you're really at that point, you're really, really afraid of well, like, I'm not going to get that heart need right. met and I'm going to do whatever it takes. Right. Okay. And so that's at the root. I am telling you at the root of every false identity is going to be fear of unmet needs. Every single time it will be a fear of an unmet desire and Every time you start operating out of the fear of the unmet desire, then you start behaving in a way that is not true to who you are and you will find yourself lost in it and it's detrimental. Mm -hmm. And then it is impossible for you to walk freely in who you're created to be with all of that noise circling around. Until you come to Christ. Until you come to Christ. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. So, I mean, and here's how, here's how the book says it. Um, he writes, that's how the enemy works, tempting us to act in anger or fear without seeking wisdom from God. The enemy lures us into acting in our own wisdom and strength. Then when everything falls apart, he's there to accuse and shame us. At this point, we're susceptible to taking on a false identity. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's interesting how, like when you start acting or believing that fear and it motivates you and then it causes this protective behavior, like you're putting all, you're surrounding your decision by all the protective mechanisms that you have. It actually, you can end up like turning into sin Mm -hmm. and what was meant at, like at first it wasn't, it seemed kind of innocent that you're believing this fear but now you're doing these actions that are actually sinful and are against what what uh, a God's against against God's nature and mm-hmm. against who God created you to be. Yeah. And it, it and the problem with that is that sin separates you from intimacy with Jesus. It's not that He abandons you or leaves you, but it's like this barrier in there, and you have a hard time. It, the like the more you enter into that sin, you're going to have a harder time being intimate with Jesus, a hard time hearing Him seeing what he's doing and it's, he's still there, mm-hmm. but it just creates this, this problem in your relationship. And, you know, that was the deal with Eve is that he, she was in this perfect sinless environment and she listened to the enemy. And the problem with that is that he put this doubt in her, or at least he offered her this doubt and she, she kind of took the bait mm-hmm. and made the choice where she um, started listening to that accusation from the enemy where she doubted God's goodness to her. Yeah. And she started thinking that, oh, maybe, maybe God's like holding out on me. Yeah. And doubting his character and his goodness. And then on top of that, it says in the Bible that like the fruit looked good. In other words, it had a purpose that she could kind of buy into. It looked right. like good fruit, fruit, fruit. And so, um, and so it seemed like a good idea at the time. I'm using air quotes. And so it seemed like a good idea at the time, uh, you know, uh, like it's a great idea. This is really good food. You know, you can't let it go to waste. And so um, that kind of supported her decision to be acting and rebelling against God because it's when it, it there's no gray in the kingdom of God. Like you're either in the kingdom of God in the light and life that he offers or you're in the kingdom of darkness and a lot of people would like to believe that there's this fluid area in between that's gray and it's whatever serves my you know best interest and and whatever's good for me but it's not everything that god has in the kingdom of light is good for you mm-hmm. and it's and it's meant to prosper you and give you life because he really cares about us and he's such a good god and and that's how he's designed his kingdom is that when we partner with him when we submit our lives to him he gives all that goodness to us but we have to choose it we have to receive it Versus when we turn away from him, whether it's a knowing thing or or, a rebellious act, when we turn away from that, we're entering into the kingdom of darkness. And those things, like the sin that we engage in and that rebelliousness, really cause death inside of us. And it separates us from the life of Christ. There's no gray. And this is what I want to backtrack just a little bit on this story with Eve and in light of what we just talked about. So... Eve starts to doubt God's goodness. Yes. Right. So this is the, That's very, where the, this the lie is, came in. This is when the lie came in mm-hmm. for her that God's withholding, that she's, in other words, she's not believing that God is meeting her desires. Yeah. That God, she's not believing that God is fulfilling her. And so she's got these needs 
that then she chooses to say, okay, well, then I'm going to take matters into my own hand and I'm going to go get my needs met over here and a false identity. I'm going to meet my own needs. Right. And do you see the cycle? Yeah. And so instead of getting her desires met by God and knowing that he's there and meeting them, she chooses to say, no, I'm going to... I'm going to go meet my own needs. Mm -hmm. And this fruit looks good. This looks like it will satisfy what I need. So then she eats of it. We Mm -hmm. know the story. And then what happens right after that? Fear and shame. Fear and shame, yeah. And those are the two. And then they end up hiding. Yes. And that's because those. whenever you are living out of those two identities, those false identities of fear and shame, then that's the behavior that you exhibit is the hiding. Mm -hmm. And so... And that moment, they're no longer living in their true identity. They've given that up to become, uh, to let something else try to meet their desires or meet their needs or tell them about them. And so in that, they quite literally put on fear and shame. Isn't there clothes or like they make themselves. They make their own, they tried to cover themselves. Right. Which is just, just to really hone in on this idea that. Man, that it all stems down to an unmet need mm-hmm. or a fear that they that you won't have that in Christ, which is just a lie. Mm-hmm. So, I think with fear, I, th- I mean, I think that we have to address fear, and I love how, and we have a lot. But here's what uh, Jamie Winship, what he writes, he says: once you make a fear-based decision, you'll act in fear the rest of your life. Don't do that. Face the fear confess the fear, move through the fear with God so the fear doesn't own you, but you have authority over it and perfect peace. Do this before you ask what to do. Otherwise, you won't think with your whole mind. You'll only think out of fear, which this is what Eve, this yeah. is what Eve did. Yeah, that's really good. Could you imagine if she, before when the thought entered in her mind, the first thought that God wasn't good or that God couldn't meet her needs, if she could have noticed that that was happening inside of her and then instead would have turned to God and say, hey, like, are you holding out on me? Like, this is me bringing my full self to the table. What would that have looked like? I mean, I don't know. Because he's big enough for those kind of questions. He's big enough for those kinds of questions. And that's what bringing your full self to the table looks like so that then you're not having to go meet and maintain your own needs and start behaving in a way that's not true to who you are. And he's big enough for all of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it says perfect love casts out fear. Yeah. And Jamie Winship writes, love allows us to receive without fear. Yeah. And there's a reason, like, I'm so convinced that fear is, is so opposite of God. I mean, it's so opposite. If God is love and perfect love casts out fear, then that tells me that those two things cannot go together. And fear, a lot of um, a lot of times, will stop our trusting process. Mm-hmm. Like, Jesus, I trust you. But if you've got fear about him and, and how you see him and how you see his nature, that you don't trust that nature. And I think, because uh, there's a couple little tangents about the fear comment that you had made, is, is like if we're seeing God or seeing Jesus as being the mean, vengeful one, like he's there, he's watching your every move, and if you make one wrong move, he's going to dust bust you, he's going to zap you with a lightning bolt. <laughs> like, if you see Jesus and God from that angle, is that he's mean and vengeful and he's out to get you, then you're not going to trust. I mean, who would want to trust that? Right. You know? Not me. And so there's that response to fear and how that affects our how we view God. Um, 
versus the fear of the Lord. And I just kind of want to throw that out there for a minute because there is a healthy fear, but it's not a fear of like that produces anxiety. And it's not this fear that causes us to run from God. It's mm-hmm. actually a healthy fear where it's a healthy reverential fear of of Jesus and God. And it's a healthy reverential fear of the relationship that I have with them. So in other words, to give context to it, like if I was married to um, my husband, if I'm married to a man, and I've made that covenant relationship with him, then that that's going to steer my choices in the sense of I'm not going to be looking to have an affair. I'm not going to look to uh, just promote the lust that I have in my heart or don't have because I'm going to because I know that if I go down that that route of having an affair or looking to someone else then it's going to hurt my relationship with my husband it's going to hurt that covenantal relationship yeah. I have with him and it's going to hurt him mm-hmm. and it's the same thing with our relationship with Christ and actually there's a verse in the Bible that says for your maker is your husband and so not in this man and woman sense, but in the sense that we have, we're in covenant relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And so when we, if we, if we uh, sin against God, if we choose to sin, like if we don't have a healthy respect of that relationship, then we're going to do things that hurt the relationship and that hurt Jesus. Yeah, that's good. That's really good, actually. And so that's where we don't, I mean, once you make one of those decisions, it's just that kind of rabbit hole uh-huh. that just keeps trailing. I mean, it just keeps snowballing to where it's unmanageable. Mm-hmm. And when you set like the consequences of sin, mm-hmm. death, right? And so every time there's going to be consequences to not to not walking in who you're called to be. There's going to be consequences because whenever you start making those fear-based decisions, whether it's because you're not seeing God rightly, so you're afraid to come to him, or because you have this wrong version of the fear of the Lord, or you just don't have the fear of the Lord yeah. at all. Um, I mean, it destroys your life. Yeah, and it destroys you from the inside out. And it, then it destroys the lives of the people and around you. And the ones you. around you, yes. And those are the people that you're called to actually impact mm-hmm. and thrust towards the kingdom to of bring, heaven. But to bring Jesus to them. Yes. Yes. And so I think um, kind of wrapping up, there's another thing that I really want to look at. And at No Boundaries, we call it reframing. And so reframing is this idea of getting a new perspective. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really important whenever we're talking about identity, because what happens is, is there can be a moment in your life and it can be big or little. It doesn't matter, you know, quote unquote, big or little. Mm -hmm. And it's any time that something has come in and tried to put its false identity on you. And what reframing does is it takes you back to that place and then you get Jesus's perspective or you get the narrative of Jesus for that moment so that you're not continuing to walk in that false identity. And it will take you back to maybe even sometimes the very first time that you felt that way and operated in that way. And then from there on your entire life started making decisions out of that. And so reframing is super, super helpful. And we do it all the time here at No Boundaries. Mm -hmm. And you can find it um, if you want more in-depth conversation about reframing or teaching. You can find it in our Journey of Restoration CPR e-course in its session 11. And it's really good. It's really good. And reframing is what I think kind of where the rubber meets the road Mm -hmm. as far as in your walk with Christ about, because no one wants to go back to things. Yeah. You know what I mean? But if you can bring it to the table and get rid of the anxiety, the anxiety beforehand is worse than the actually doing of it. And so 
what reframing does is it allows you to get Jesus's perspective or God's perspective. Well, over, you're saying like in a conversation with him? Yes, in okay. a conversation with him on where he was and what he was doing and what he was speaking over you in that moment. Okay. And so I think um, a little bit of an example would be helpful here. Okay. And so if we go back to the insignificance thing, and like I have felt that that one was one of my lies that I'm insignificant, right? And if I asked Jesus, when was the first time that I felt insignificant? And he takes me back into when I'm in my kindergarten class and everyone else, the assignment was to draw um, something. And I guess I did it wrong, right? And so I went and I drew my paper like on the little squiggly lines, like mine looked different than everyone else's. Like I didn't understand Mm -hmm. what the assignment was. And so then mine doesn't get placed on the board because it's wrong. Okay. And so at tiny, how old are you? How old am I in kindergarten? Five? Five, yeah. And so to see the insignificance, meaning my paper doesn't get placed on the wall and doesn't get, and I'm the only one who did it wrong. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Then in that moment, and everyone's laughing at me. So then you're embarrassed. So there's shame. shame. Yeah. So then there's shame. And then there's the fear of ever getting anything wrong ever again. And so that's whenever an identity of insignificance that's based in fear and shame is trying to enter in. And it's interesting, though, that you tell that story because it's not like you were involved in a some crime and there's been some horror, like, right. There's been bloodshed and people are, you know what I mean? It's like, it was when you were five. It was when you're five. And you're in, in little kindergarten. And you don't even know it. And, that, and then that you end up carrying, you ended up carrying that for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. That's pretty amazing. And you don't realize it. And so with reframing, it's beautiful because it'll take you back to the very first moment or the very first root. If, if God highlights it. Yeah. And for me, it was in a classroom at five years old because I drew my paper wrong and I didn't get my paper on the but board. But you kept hearing that lie all through life. Yes. But then all through life, I can see how, oh, so I felt insignificant because I thought that that was the message that I received. Whether that's what they were saying or not doesn't matter. That's whenever the enemy yeah, that's whispered how you perceived it, yeah. in my ear of you are insignificant and what you do like you have your paper has no significance and has no value to it. And so you're not contributing because you don't have anything to offer here. And if you and if you internalize that as a 5-year-old and then you go through life making decisions out of that, it destroys things because that's not your true identity. Whenever what God wanted to say, when I say God where were you? And he, I can... know that part of the reframing oh, yes. process? So, okay. so now we're back to reframing. So if I say, Jesus, where, where, is, are you? where is the first time that I learned that I was insignificant? He takes me back to that memory. And then I see it. And I say, okay, God, where were you? And what would you say to me at five years old who's feeling that? And I see Jesus take my paper and put it on the top of his refrigerator <laughs> and the thing. And he says, man, I love what I created. Like, I love this. Okay. And then he's establishing, he gets to go back in time because he's outside of time. Uh-huh. So he gets to go back and minister to five-year-old Molly and saying, no, no, no. Like, actually, like I've created you for so much more. You were so significant in the kingdom. And what you've done here is amazing. Like, 
And now I have the words to know I was five. I didn't understand the assignment given to me. Mm-hmm. And so I did what I thought was yeah. what I thought we were doing, but that that actually had nothing to do with my worth or my value as a person. Wow. Because when I see God take that very paper and put it on his refrigerator, you know what I mean? You know how dads do? Yeah. Or your parents do yeah. when the little kid makes the thing and they like it, so they hang it up. Yeah. And they're like, this is my kid. And that's what I got to hear. He was like, no, no, no. This is my kid. You have something to offer. And this is where it is in the kingdom. And you had to agree with that. And I had to agree with that. Otherwise, you're still believing the lie. All right. And so this is kind of the reframing process that we use at No Boundaries. And then in Jamie Winship's book, Living Fearless, he says it like this. He says, the memory remains the memory and part of the history of your life. But remembering with Jesus can change everything. He was there and wants you to know his perspective. This is revelation. And revelation always precedes transformation. And then you will know how to move into action. And I think that's interesting because it doesn't say, and and that's what I was going to mention a minute ago. It wasn't that, now, Molly, I want you to forget that memory. Mm -hmm. like. Just destroy that memory because, like, it's not going to be of any value and just get rid of it. Yeah. And and it's not that, you know, he said, so Jamie is saying, but remembering with Jesus can change everything. So he's not devaluing the memory. Right. He's saying, hey, ask me where I was in the middle of this. Mm-hmm. And can, then and then you get the truth from that. So then actually now I see five-year-old Molly and I see Jesus, the king of the universe. Actually, he's establishing significance over me Uh because he's saying that doesn't matter. Are you kidding me? I love this piece of paper. (laughs) Like he's actually establishing something inside of me that now you can choose to walk in. And so whenever you reframe with Jesus, how it shifts the perspective. And that's everything is that shift. And then it says, and then you will know how to move into action. So then when I know then that God is calling me significance and when I say, Jesus, how am I significant to you? And I have a picture of him taking my artwork and putting it on his refrigerator. Then I'm coming from a place now of knowing I'm significant and because because he said it, not because right. not because my environment said it, but because he said it. And when and that, he says it, that's all that matters. And then, you know, and that totally helps you with your calling and your purpose because like if he ends up asking you, Molly, he ends up asking you to do something that may be challenging, like I want you to, to, you know, go to Africa or something and tell all these these big people group about me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty daunting. I mean, and some people would be terrified by that kind of a request. Yeah. But if you believe that you were insignificant, you would probably say, I can't do that. Right. I'm a nobody. Or on the other, right. So then... Or on the other side of that, that you'd be going to have to prove that you are. Do you know what I mean? Like to prove it can go that you are that what? you are significant. Okay. Because you, at the end of the day, you have that desire. So either you're going to push it away because you believe you're insignificant, but either way, it's going to come out in your actions. Yeah. So both are the root of believing that you're insignificant. But a lot of times in that proving that you are significant, because I've I've seen this too, is that people kind of bully their way into something, right? Because they're trying to prove it. When really you don't have to. I mean, if you know mm-hmm. that you're if they, if you know that you're significant with God, 
it becomes a real peaceful, gentle thing that you don't have to prove yourself. And so you'll either overperform at the expense of you'll hurt people and yourself in the meantime, you'll overperform to prove it, or you'll isolate because you already know what's the point. Mm-hmm. No, neither yeah. of those neither, are the neither are good. Yeah. Like, but what happens whenever I say, yes, I'd love to go to Africa because I know that God has said I'm significant. And here's what he, he says that I'm significant in the kingdom so much so that he has taken my piece of paper and he's put it on his refrigerator. And you're his favorite. And I'm his favorite. <laughs> so then I'm going from a place of significance, not for significance. Yes, that's a good way to put it. And so then actually what I'm imparting into the room is significance because I'm full. Yeah. And then I'm operating in true identity. Do you see what I, yeah. how that works? Yeah, that's and really so good. then... That's actually what I can help offer to other to others. people. Yeah. Because I'm full. Yeah. And I know who God is. So you're not trying to pull that out of somebody else. Right. Because I don't And need, create this dysfunctional relationship, you know? Right. Yeah. And so then it, it's not going to matter how other people behave. It's not going to matter how people treat me. It's not going to matter if my paper was wrong and everyone else's was quote unquote right. Like none of that will speak to my worth Mm -hmm. or speak to my significance as a child of God. Mm -hmm. And none of that will speak to my identity in him. And so then from that place, then I can approach every environment and every situation knowing who I am as a significant reclamator. (laughs) Yeah. And instead of being fixated on yourself and being fixated on your need that's not being met, you you can focus on other people and what God is telling you how to share Jesus, how to, how to share him with other people. So yeah. your focus can be on other people instead of being stuck on yourself. Mm-hmm. And I know that we only kind of touched on the how do we hear for our, our identities. Mm-hmm. And so, Sandy, I want you to talk a little bit about just right quick, um, like because Jesus had his identity and the disciples had their identities, but their individual giftings look different, right? Yeah, and that's... That's one thing I really love about uh, about Jesus is that he's not a cookie cutter. So it's not like um, he has this cookie cutter shaped in the in a shape of a square, and everybody has to fit that square. You have to have certain callings and I mean certain giftings. It's just that he's created everybody uniquely, mm-hmm. and he. Um, but in that uniqueness, and in that even being different, because like me and you, Molly, are just so different. Mm-hmm. there's beauty in that and, and that we get to carry Jesus in that. And so in that differentness, we can go to, we can go to so many different atmospheres and so many different environments and bring Jesus to the mix. Um, because he, it's, it's, it's not a cookie cutter thing. And Jesus in his uniqueness, he sees the the desires of our heart. He sees, you know, what we've been through and that sort of thing. And he has unique answers for us yeah. that'll be custom made just for us. I mean, it's it's stunning how he operates like that, that he can do that for billions of people all at once. And it's just mind-blowing for me to think that he can see Molly, he can see little Molly at five and, you know, reclaim that for his kingdom, reclaim that for you, mm-hmm. and, and, just, and still uh, speak his truth into you and purpose and life and, hey, I want you to go change the world. Like that's a big, yeah, that's a big thing, you know. And so he uses the differentness for his benefit, for his kingdom. And that's where, that's what we want to, where I really want to kind of land this is that 
I know that in Romans it says that because God is our Father, that we inherit all that He, talking about Jesus, Uh we inherit all that He is and all that He has, meaning our identity is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Because as children of God, we inherit all who Jesus is and all all the things that Jesus has. But if we if we accept it, if we receive that, yeah, and then. But from that place, then it will look a lot of different ways yeah. because we have different giftings. So then yes. the identity or the, when we say what d- identity does God speak over you? So if mine's reclamator, Sandy, you want to share yours? Gosh, it's a little bit intimidating. <laughs> so I, I really heard when I prayed um, that I was a discipler of nations. Hmm. And that seems scary to me, you know, in a sense. Uh-huh. And so, but once you hear that, it it really helps you make decisions to live that out. Yes. Healthy, Christ-centered decisions. And so what I really want to drive home is that while we both, we inherit all that Jesus is and all that Jesus has, and that our identity is is Christ. Like, that's that's our identity. But then whatever He calls us from that point might look different. So you might be a discipler of nations, yeah. and I might be a reclamator. Yeah. And so it's going to look different, but we have the same. Does that make sense? Yes. The same The same focus is to proclaim Christ, to go right. into all the world and proclaim the good news and that sort of thing. Yes. But it helps so. whenever we hear from God our identity, because then we know we know what we'll say yes to or what our part will be yeah. in it. And so I know Jamie Winships, his is a militant peace, peacemaker. Uh-huh. Like that was what God called him. He said, you're my militant peacemaker. And so then he knew from an early age what jobs to say yes to what and what jobs to say no to. So he's not going to go work at the grocery store <laughs> or manage a restaurant or because that's not who that's not in line with who he is. Yeah. So he decides to become a police officer, you know, and that like that. Well, it'll drive everything that we do. But then what the important thing is, is that then whenever you're presenting yourself to the world, you're coming from a place of identity, not coming for your identity. Yeah. And this is what this book does. Yeah. So, Sandy, any last parting thoughts? No, I think it's been a great conversation. Okay. Well, then let me just give a little recap. So here's what I am hearing. That before the foundations of the earth, God created you for something on purpose and for a purpose that he weaved into your most intricate being everything that you would need and everything that you are found in him for a reason that there's a people or something that you're supposed to do with who you are that he wants to establish in you an identity that's so unshakable that it will impact people all around you that will impact the culture around you and that that's what you're created for and then i'm hearing that Throughout our lives, whether we knew it or we didn't, we took on false identities and we took on shame and we took on fear, which are two big false identities. But that the good news is that Jesus, by his blood, he's reconciled us to the Father so that we can come before him and be open and honest about where we are. And then we give them the false identities in in exchange. He gives us who we truly are and that we can hear from him. And that as we hear from him about who we are, we can ask the two questions. What do you want me to know? And what do you want me to do in every single environment that we go into? And that's what I'm hearing, you guys. 
And so I just want to take a second and give all the listeners an opportunity to respond. And so there's a few questions from the book that I'm going to ask. And if you need to write them down, that's great. Or if you need to take a minute and pause this, please do so. But the first question that we're in a place of perfect peace that we're going to ask Jesus, Jesus, what's one area of my life that I'm not living in truth? And then as he reveals it to you, you guys write it down. And then another question is going to be ask Jesus, Say, Jesus, what are the false identities or false names that have been given to me that I've been living under? And then write those down. And then the last question is going to be ask Jesus then. Say, Jesus, what is it that you call me? Since before the foundations of the earth, what did you call me? For me, it was a reclamator. For Sandy, it was a discipler of nations. For Jamie Winship, it was a militant peacemaker. But there's something that he's called each of you. So Jesus, we just thank you for everyone who's listening. God, we ask that you encounter them in a real way. Lord, that you would establish in them an unmovable identity. Jesus, that you would speak to them about who they are. Lord, we ask that you would tell them about them. And Jesus, we just break off the false identities that we say that we want to choose to repent and leave those behind that will turn to you and run towards you. Jesus, I ask for a courage and a boldness to lay every single thing on the table. And God, we thank you for the exchange. And I ask that you just exchange all the false identities for the true identity that you've given every single one of us. In Jesus' name. And also as a side note, you guys, it's super helpful if you do this out loud in a group. So I know for us, like we've read this book and we highly recommend it. And I highly recommend that you get with a group of people and we just take one day and we go through the book and we do the reflection questions together because there's something if, if secrecy is where shame and fear live, then getting everything on the table and uncovered, there's something super powerful about that. So we're praying for you guys. And once again, we recommend this book and all of the resources that we mentioned will be found in the notes. So later, until next time. Bye. Bye.